Karlsson, Karlsson, världens bästa Karlsson Karlsson, Karlsson, hoj här kommer Karlsson Karlsson, Karlsson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Karlsson Gillar jag så bra som mig Karlsson, Karlsson, Karlsson scores Karlsson, Karlsson, världens bästa Karlsson Thank everybody for tuning in to the second last episode of this season of the Keeping Carlson Fancy Hockey Podcast, the best fancy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys at one point, Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrowski, and with me, the guy who's going to help us preview the final week of the NHL regular season, Brian Com. Hello, Elon. Hello, everyone. And yeah, welcome to the season-ending almost episode. Some of your seasons are already done. Elon, today marks the end of I think both of our fantasy hockey seasons this year. We won our joint league. I unfortunately could not grind out a win in the league where we're against each other, but I did still get past you. So I've got that to hang my hat on. Yeah, you kamikaze your way to the <laughs> finals by using all your moves to beat me, even though I was in a much better position to win in the finals because I actually had still had moves left. But no, you you beat me fair and square within the rules, and then you got destroyed in the finals. So congratulations. Well, no, I, I, I did not get destroyed. It's very close, and I don't I don't think you would have performed any better. I think I think my team did about as well as any team could do against Sergei Bobrovsky and Connor McDavid, who are essentially the ones responsible for my season ending. Oh, and Chris Letang. Anyway, excuses. Right. I don't accept them. But we won a league. We won a league. We won. We won a thousand bucks to split. So uh, everyone listening, I wish I had money right now that I could show and just like brag about how rich we are now. Well, that that's very appealing. It really makes you a person that I like to listen to. <laughs> okay. Let's Doesn't make get- me angry at all. Some people, though, are still fighting. They've still got a week left. Some people, their season's over, but they still want to hear us talk about what happened over the past week and still talk about what's going to happen. So we've got something for everyone today. I hope you guys are going to like it. We've got a big slew of players we want to talk about. Before we get into it, let's mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com, the best fantasy hockey website out there. I know I say that every week, but I mean it. Every week, there's no competition for the articles. Every day, daily rambling, starting goalies line combinations, all the information you need, as well as really well-written articles explaining everything that's going on. Just a fantastic resource. If you want to be successful in fantasy hockey, you need to be going often to DauberHockey.com. Again, they're partner sites. Like there's a whole Dauber network, right? And one of those sites that I use to research the show is Dauber Prospects, a very handy place when you're wondering who is that guy who just got called up or just signed a contract? Should I care about him? This is your way to find out by heading over and looking up what they've got about him on DauberProspects.com. Yeah, well, we'll be bringing up a few players, I think, on this show that I'll be asking you, who the heck is this guy? And I'm sure you'll be referencing Dauber Prospects. But to start, here's a guy, we all know who he is, and some people might be very disappointed because John Tavares is week to week with a lower body injury. He injured his hamstring, apparently, against New Jersey on Friday. The Islanders played again today for the first game sans Tavares. So obviously, this is a big hit to people banking on him in the final week and maybe a hit to the other players that we know and love just because they play with John Tavares. Bailey and Lee, they all got spread around. Before we talk about the impact on the lineup, let's just sort of put a pin or a summary on Tavares' season. He ends with 66 points in 77 games, which is definitely better than he was looking like he was going to do early on, but still a 70-point pace. Has to be a disappointment for people who drafted him in like round one of their pools. I think 
think a lot of people were expecting him to hit at least like a 75 point pace, maybe even get back to a point per game. You know, he also had 70 points last year in 78 games. And before that, every year he was a point per game guy, like four seasons in a row. He was over a point per game. Curious to know now that he's gone two seasons in a row, being closer to a 70 point pace. What's your expectation for John Tavares next year? Is he now a 70 point player, which I think would put him to like second, maybe even third round of your draft since there's so many players coming up around that spot. Or do you think he could still do it and get back to that point per game pace that we used to know and love and depend on from John Tavares? Well, we know he struggled out of the gate and the Islanders had their issues at the start of the season, but then they had the coaching change. And now Tavares has played almost as many games under Doug Waite as he had Jack Capuano at the start of the season. And since the coaching change, everything has improved for him in all situations. So that's power play, even strength, rolled it all together, his shots, his shot attempts, his expected goals, his points per 60 minutes. It's all gotten better since Doug Waite has taken over behind the bench. He has 34 points in 35 games since that happened with more shots per game to boot. The Isles really did seem a mess, and I'm not 100% sure how much of it has really been cleaned up just by virtue of changing the coach alone. But it's been cleaned up enough in my mind that I think Tavares gets back to being a point-per-game guy, and I'd be surprised if anyone valued him as less for your draft. It might be wishful thinking that you can draft him any later next year than you did this year. I certainly am not ready to bump him down my draft list. I think I would be. Like, who's he going to play with next year? Hosang and Andrew Ladd or Bailey and Lee again? Like, I guess I get what you're saying. Once the new coach came in, they figured out a way to get Tavares back to scoring all of these points. But still, I don't know. I just It's so hard for me to really want to bank on a guy with, like, my first pick. Someone who doesn't even play with anyone really appealing. Like, Bailey and Lee. Like, let's talk about these guys. Okay, we get your point. I guess people know my opinion. I'm not saying I think he's horrible. I think he's a solid lock for 70 points. I don't know if I see him as being a point-per-game guy anymore. Like, I see it being possible for there to be a cold streak if there's just not enough people for Tavares to play with. Today, the lines were totally just sad. Like, it looks like a minor league team here. Or maybe that's harsh. But, like, Beauvillier, Hosang, and Lee were, I guess, line one. Bailey with uh, Nelson and, and Prince. And then Ladd with Quine and Chimera. So, you know, they split up. Anders Lee and Josh Bailey spreading around that sparse little bit of offense they have. Andrew Ladd still doesn't get to play with them. He's playing on, I guess, like a third line. We were talking just last week, I think, or the week before, about how Andrew Ladd seemed to have gotten a bump. He got some power play time. He was playing with John Tavares. Obviously, with Tavares out there, like, ah, forget him. Even without John Tavares, Andrew Ladd can't get anywhere near the top six. That shows how big of a disappointment. Somehow, the Islanders won today with this lineup. Anders Lee actually scored two goals, and Hosang scored one. Yeah, you're talking like you haven't, like... Anders Lee scored twice. Hosang scored once. So that line was pretty successful. They put up four goals and it was against Buffalo. And also, Elon, you're talking about Andrew Ladd being nowhere. He led the team in ice time, almost getting 17 minutes. Every other forward or most other forwards were within about a minute and 20 seconds of each other. There were like nine forwards who were all rolled pretty evenly. So it's hard to see exactly which line is getting the favorite treatment, the top line treatment, although for to judge by today's scoring, Anders Lee and Hosang, whatever line they're on, especially if it's together, is going to be maybe their best scoring line. Cal Clutterbuck, by the way, the only forward other than Andrew Ladd to break 16 minutes today. He broke it by one second. Way to go, Clutterbuck. And he got his two hits as he's wanted to. That's actually low for him. Anders Lee had five hits. So in a bangers and mash league, a huge day for Anders Lee with two goals, five shots, five hits. Great, but like going into next week, if you're still alive in your league, I'm going to stop prefacing every question with that. I'm assuming my questions are for people who actually still care about what's going to happen next week. 
do you bank on any of these Islanders guys? Like they play four times. It's a decent schedule. If you think you're going to get points, sure, Anders Lee had two goals today. Are you going to pick him over some other free agents? I guess we'll get to other guys later on the show, and I can maybe ask you this guy versus that guy. But overall, do you have faith that Anders Lee and Hosang and I guess anyone else can do anything next week? Or do you think it's going to be a crapshoot? Like, of course, someone's going to score a goal in every game. I'm sure there'll be one player next week that in one of the games scores two goals. But do you have much confidence that it's going to be Anders Lee? If there's a guy I would choose to do it, it would be him. Like with Savar's going out, someone's going to have to shoot the puck a little bit more. And right out the gate, it looks like it could be Anders Lee, who had five shots on goal tonight. Anthony Beauvillier, the next highest shots on goal total on the Islanders with four. And then it was pretty average throughout. Josh Bailey is the one who takes a hit. Like if you have him on your roster and you expect production to continue, if he's separated from Anders Lee, then I am not that interested in holding him much longer. Wow, I never thought I'd hear you say the sentence, if he's separated from Anders Lee, then I wouldn't <laughs> recommend holding on to him. But here, here's where we are with the New York Islanders. Yeah, I guess, who knows? I could see Josh Bailey easily being the guy who scores two goals in the next game. That's how much of a crapshoot I think this team is. I guess you're right, if your league counts shots, Lee has been someone we've been able to depend on for shots in the past, and he did it today. So definitely I would consider grabbing him for the next game, but, you know. I'm not expecting too, too much. Maybe he'll surprise me. By the way, one guy on the Islanders who I'm not so surprised did well is Yaroslav Halak. He had another great game. He stopped 35 of 37 shots for the win. We talked about Halak when he got called up. He had been doing so well in the minors. He came in, played his first game, beat the Penguins 4-3, to a tough Penguins team. This is like before they had all the injuries. I'm sure they had some injuries. Anyways, then the Islanders sat Halak for like, I think, two or three games in a row. I didn't understand playing Grice, even though he was kind of struggling. But now Halak played today. He also played on Friday against New Jersey, where he also had a good game, a 2-1 win. Grice was last seen on Thursday when he was pulled against Philly after letting in three goals on eight shots. Unfortunately, Halak came in and took the loss, which is always a tough spot for a goalie to be in, right? To come in after your team's already getting blown up. Anyway, now next week, like I said, the Islanders play four times. I've got to assume the next game goes to Halak, right? Like, Doug Waite can't possibly sit him for Thomas Grice on Tuesday. To me, that just seems so crazy. We've been saying this already, and I guess I'll just say it again. Halak should start. You had Grice with those two clunkers and a very good start since Halak was called up. But Halak is the inverse. He's had two very good starts. And the clunker was a relief effort where Grice gave up those three quick goals on eight shots in eight minutes against Philadelphia. Halak came in, promptly gave up two more, but then shut it down to recover and have a 9.05 save percentage on the night. He is the Isles ticket to winning games, but I don't know what the point necessarily is of winning games for the Isles right now as they are becoming longer and longer shots to make the playoffs. Elon, are they mathematically eliminated yet? I will let you know in a second. They are not mathematically eliminated. They do not have an E beside their name in ESPN, so that means they're not mathematically eliminated. They have 86 points, and they would have to catch... The Lightning also have 86 points. They've played eight, 78 games, and then the Lightning have played 77. They would need, like, the Sens and the Bruins and the Lightning all to lose some games, and the Leafs, I guess. Well, they would need to win out to get 94 points. Right now, the team they have the best chance of catching is Ottawa at 91, and Ottawa has five games remaining. So if the Sens get just four points over their next five games, then the Isles are gone. 
Right. Yeah. I don't think this is going to be their year. Same for the Lightning, which is kind of sad. You were just messaging me yesterday, speaking about NHL standings. You were saying, oh, maybe we should consider betting on the Tampa Bay Lightning to win the cup with Stamkos coming back and Kucherov is back and Tyler Johnson back. It's looking like they could be really strong. But if you take a look, it looks like they're just going to get inched out, even though they're playing well lately. So that's a shame. Don't bet on the Lightning. Don't bet on the Islanders. Looks like the Sens, I, it would have to be a pretty massive self-destruction for the Sens to not make it. But stranger things have happened, right? Yeah, and they're already on their way to that self-destruction. Just two, five, and three over the last 10, really stumbling at the time it matters the most. And you can't really blame them when Eric Carlson suddenly goes missing from the lineup. Mark Mathot gone at the same time. Then Cody Cece got injured last game too. So they are down three defensemen. Only Fanuf remains of their top four, which wasn't necessarily the sturdiest top four to begin with. So, yeah, they are on life support right now, just trying to hang in there. Oh, so maybe some hope for Islanders or Lightning fans. Maybe they do have a chance to catch the Sens. Yeah, Fanuf, by the way, sure, now he's on the top power play. If he's a free agent in your league, maybe he's not because he's pretty good for peripherals. But he only has one assist in his last 12 games. Maybe he could improve on that in the last week with this increased role. But still, just the Sens need Carlson to come back. It's not so serious, right? Like, you're living in Ottawa. What's the news media saying? Is Eric going to be back before the playoffs? Well, it's bizarre because it was said not to be serious when he was being held out, like almost just like a precautionary thing. And then today the news comes out that he is highly doubtful for tomorrow. And it's like, oh, oh, so what? what is this? What is going on that you weren't worried about, but he's still sitting out when the lineup is getting thinner and the playoff odds are getting slimmer? and they're losing home ice advantage to Toronto as we speak, which we know their owner would be very concerned about as it could mean one potential home game less or two less home games or however the series plays out. And we know how important that is to Mr. Melnick. You know, really, I kind of would prefer Tampa Bay make the playoffs over Ottawa because I think Tampa Bay actually has a chance to win this thing. If Ottawa were to stumble in the playoffs, oh, big deal. They get eliminated in round one or two. I want to see a team make it that actually has a chance. Just like with me versus you in the semifinals of our league. You beat me, and then you got slaughtered. You I mean, keep I, saying I, I got slaughtered. Know. You know how close it was. I came very close. It's still I mean, close. I'm, I think I'm still in it. Oh, you're not. Yeah, I'm delusional. I mean, like, I mean, there's an analogy to be made here, which, which I will make, because I have a survivor analogy of like, you know, just because you make it to the finals and the vote is close, you might have still been out from the very beginning because you've never had the votes that you would have needed to win you had no chance in the categories that you needed to win i guess it's bobrovsky you're right if bobrovsky would have been bad I, what am i doing why am you i sound bitter you sound bitter and angry you're just coming at me like yeah right. I, I i agree maybe with a few extra moves if i hadn't burnt them out as quickly as I, we don't need to get into this all over again <laughs> uh I, you know i just uh thank you everyone for bearing with us while we sort out this difficult time in our relationship <laughs> yeah, I'm not even angry. I don't know. I just feel like I need to say something and then I spout off. You you deserved it. Well done. Okay, let's go to another injury here. A lot of injuries this week, by the way. We've seen a lot of lamenting in our patron-only Facebook group of people just listing slews of players that are injured for them in their finals matchup. It's horrible, right? Is there any way just to design a league where you don't get so crippled with injuries? I guess if you had full season points instead of playoff matchups, then you know one or two weeks of injuries shouldn't make too much of a difference. But it's fun to have playoff matchups but it's so brutal to have like some of your top players injured like we mentioned John Tavares here's another big name Alex Barkov 
You could add him and James Reimer to the list of injured players on Florida. They already had Ekblad and Luongo injured, so they obviously stumbled at the end of the year for good reason. Barkov missed his second game yesterday, a 5-2 loss to Boston. It was the upper body injury. Brian, at this point, can we label Barkov as a Band-Aid boy, as Dauber would do? Like, if he doesn't come back next week, he'll end the year with 61 games. He's never played more than 71 games in his now four-year career. I know that you might say he's still young. I know you generally don't like to give people this label and you like to say, oh, injuries are random. They could happen to anyone. But it's like so hard to bank on Barkov playing a full season. And I believe it was last year also that he was injured around the fantasy playoffs. You could correct me if I was wrong. Like on the plus side with Barkov, when he does play, he's been great. Like he did really well in the 61 games he played this year. 52 points. That's a 70 point pace. That's the same point pace as John Tavares. We expected some regression for Barkov from his similar pace last year. I remember going into the season, you said all of Florida was maybe scoring a too high of a percentage of their shots and you thought they'd all maybe decrease, but Barkov kept up the same point pace as last year. I'd be curious to know where you would be drafting him next year. Like, would you be drafting him among other 70 point players or do you maybe drop him down a little bit because of his injury risk or maybe because you still think that he's, you know, maybe overproducing and maybe isn't as good as the 70 points pace indicates. Before labeling him a Band-Aid boy, I think we need to just take a quick look at his injury history. We see back, we see wrist, we see hand, we see knee. So there's no recurring injury there that we're like, oh, well, he's got a bad knee or he's got a bad wrist. But he does seem to get hurt often. I don't know. He's reckless. Yeah, so maybe he's reckless. Maybe it's the style of play that he engages in. Uh, And you're right, he did survive regression this year when he was healthy. His on-ice shooting percentage took a hit over last year as expected, but he also saw a drop in shot rates that put him back closer to his career numbers as well. However, a small uptick in personal shooting percentage helped make up for that drop in shot rates and keep him on 70-point pace. I'm still looking at him in the future as a 70-point guy. He's going to be another year older next year, another year towards peaking And I'm also not ready to discount him because of injury risk, but I can understand why someone else might. I still like him for 70 points, 65 if you want to be cautious, but I think there's a lot to like there. I'd be willing to bet you that he's going to end the year with less than 65 points just due to, I think he's going to miss some games like total points on the year. I would take the under on 65 points for Barkov. So we'll see uh, with him injured. We can look at the impact on Florida. Trocek went to the top line to play with Yager and Huberdo and also Trocek jumped to the top power play. Marcia so jumped up to line two to play with Jokinen and Smith. And then Vanek, Bjugstad and Sevier were on line three. There's actually a tight race going on for the Florida Panthers Team scoring lead, Trocek has 53, Barkov has 52, and then Marcia so is the dark horse in the race. He has 50 points in actually seven fewer games than Trocek. So after Barkov and maybe Huberdo, I didn't look at his pace, but it looks like Marcia so would be third in terms of just points per game. Do you think Marcia so can potentially catch Trocek in the last six games of the season, or is it five games? I don't know. In the remaining games of the year, do you think there's a chance that Marcia so could catch up? He's been pretty good lately, and he is on that top power play along with. Trocek and now also online too. He's been having a great season. That's Jonathan Marcia. So he's a shooting percentage comparable to elite shooters and an IPP comparable to elite scorers. The thing is, is that I'm still not sure that he legitimately falls into either of those categories. But for the rest of the season, he seems to be in a go-to role for the Panthers who are well eliminated from playoff contention. Who thought we'd be saying that? They are actually seven points behind the Flyers who are also about to be eliminated. And they're also playing in an easier division than Philadelphia as well. The season has just not gone to plan. The silver lining 
for all those Panthers fans out there is that Florida is going to have a top 10 pick in this year's entry draft in all likelihood, and that'll bode well for them. In the meantime, as they play out the season, Jonathan Marcheseau is at least the second best Panther to have, if not the first. If you're saying second or first, that means that either Huberdeau or Trocek are behind him in your mind? Yeah, I think I'd have him just ahead of Trocek with the way he's playing. Next year, I'm not saying it would be the same thing because we don't know where in the lineup Marcheseau is going to fall. And we do, or we can assume that Trocek is going to be the second line center. But for the rest of the way, I really like Marcheseau has taken advantage of every opportunity this year. Yeah, and, he, and he's been really good. So it'll be fun to see where we're going to project him next year. Maybe we'll be comparing him to Braden Point, who's on Marcheseau's former team and in a situation where I'd be curious to know if Marcheseau would be succeeding like Braden Point has been. Anyway, okay, we're, let's stick on Florida for a second. Like I said, Reimer has also been out for the last couple of games and Luongo was injured for a while. So it's been Red O'Bara manning the net for the past couple of games. He's not very good. <laughs> Four goals against versus Boston. Six goals against versus Montreal. I do not think that he's a guy who I would recommend grabbing for a spot start in my finals, even if I need a game. Like Florida plays next tomorrow versus Montreal. I feel like I would leave him on the bench. Like unless you're totally desperate for a start and you can't win without it. Like I feel like I would look for basically any other option in the league. And also keep in mind, it's possible that both Luongo and Reimer could be back at some point. So I'm going to say steer clear of Red O'Bara. I have a feeling you're not going to disagree. I'm not going to disagree. Florida was playing poorly enough with James Reimer in net. And in fact, with Luongo in net when he was healthy, I'm not counting on them to all of a sudden be good enough to protect Barra uh, enough to make me confident that he could be a good start for you. I just mentioned their spot in the standings. They're on a four game losing streak. Looks like they're limping to the finish. And I would not want Red O'Bara a part of my team because of that. Also, uh, Dave our valued patron and host of Stream Scheme. He was asking on our patron-only Facebook group what we think the goalie situation will be for Florida next year. And if you take a look, it's pretty even for this year, right? Like Reimer and Luongo have both played 40 games. Reimer has a 917 save percentage, Luongo a 915 save percentage. So both just barely average, maybe even a little bit below average. Do you think Luongo will be the starter going into the season like he was this year? Or do you think Reimer has earned that he'll be at least 1B status and maybe could even challenge to play the first game of the year? Like a lot of people maybe need to decide making keeper decisions, both if they have Reimer or Luongo. If you have Luongo, you decide, should I hold on to him again? Or is it finally time to let go? And with Reimer, you know, it's like maybe he could end up being the starting goalie on what could be a good team. Like they have a strong looking top nine on paper if everyone were healthy. Actually, I was seeing some tweets recently by Tyler Dello, whose tweets I'm also going to reference later in the show. But he was showing the differences between various teams' top sixes and bottom sixes uh, in terms of shot attempt shares. And Florida's was very bad. Their top six badly outperformed their bottom six. At the start of the year, we did have it framed as though their top nine is pretty even, especially that middle six. But it doesn't seem as though that's what bore out over the course of the season. That said, I do think the Panthers are better next year than they were this year. And I would want their starting goalie. Like, that's pretty reasonable value. And I think it's up in the air as to who it's going to be. I could see it being an open competition to be the starter on opening night for Florida next year with even odds for each goalie, Reimer and Luongo. It really feels like that decision is going to be one that's made just days before they play their opener next year. I was looking at contract status to try and figure this out. And do you know, Elon, that Roberto Luongo is signed 
further into the future than James Reimer is, despite being eight years older. Don't forget Luongo's contract expires in 2021-22 at the end of that season. So he's still got five years left to go. He will be 42, maybe 43, depending on his birth date, when that contract is up. Wow. Who's going to be older at the end of their contract, Luongo or Henrik Lundqvist? I'm asking because a lot of people on our Facebook group were talking about how the Rangers may have made a mistake after Lundqvist had a really bad game. Like, oh, this guy signed for like another five years. So good luck, New York. Lundqvist's contract expires one year before Luongo's does, but he's also making about twice as much in that span. Eight and a half million for another four years for Henrik Lundqvist. How does that feel? Is a Rangers fan. Do you feel like you owe it to him for all the service he provided your team? Because that's essentially what you're paying for now. You are paying for past performance. He's not going to give you eight and a half million dollars worth of goaltending. That's for sure. Man, sad to hear. But I mean, Lundqvist has a 9-11 save percentage on the season right now. So definitely, yeah, not great value. Okay, speaking of goalies, let's go to Philly. We're also still on injuries. Uh, there's, there was a scary moment actually yesterday. Uh, Neuberth collapsed in the middle of the first period. Apparently, the latest update is he's been released from hospital. And Hextall said it was likely sinus related. So maybe just an illness and maybe he shouldn't have played in the first place. I think I read something about how they knew he was sick, but put him in. Anyway, Steve Mason was also sick. So Stolarz came in and he was backing up Neuberth in that game. And he ended up coming in after Neuberth went down. He stopped 26 shots to help Philly to a 3-0 shutout win. And Stolarz is playing today against the Rangers. Actually, I guess the game's already started. We could take a look and see how he's doing so far. Philly's up 1-0. We're five minutes into the second period. Oh, 1-1 now. Oh, well. But Stolarz so far, so one goal against on 11 shots. I guess it's not so valuable to be reporting mid-game. And I'm curious to know what you think about him. Because if I recall correctly, both Mason and Neuverth will... Or no, Mason's going to be a free agent next year. And Neuverth signed that contract around the trade deadline. So he'll still be around. But Neuverth hasn't had a good season. I wonder, is, is Philly planning on Stolarz to be their starting goalie next year? Or to challenge against Michael Neuverth? Or is there something else going on? Like, is Stolarz a good goalie? Like, he's done well. He's only played very few games this season. He's played five games. He has a 951 save percentage. That's probably going to go down after today since it's such a small sample size. Curious to get your thoughts just on this Philly goalie situation going into next year. I don't know if I'd recommend grabbing Stolarz for next week just because Mason is back. He's actually backing up tonight. They just said he was still a little sick, so they wanted to give Stolarz the start. Mason's been great lately. Like He's on one of his upticks, 920 save percentage and eight wins in his last 13 games. But I don't know if he's going to be re-signing with Philly, so I wonder what you think about what they're going to do next year. Yeah, just for anyone scratching their heads and wondering why you're only talking about Neuwirth and Stolarz for next year, where they're the only guys... In the picture, in fact, Stolarz isn't even signed. He'll be a restricted free agent at the end of this season. If you're wondering what he brings to the table, I'm not so sure there's a whole lot there. In three seasons of AHL experience, he hasn't really done anything to stand out. He's got a B-minus rating on Dauber prospects for fantasy value futures. And I don't see any reason at this point to think he'll do any better than Mason or Neuverth. Have done. So if Mason goes, maybe Neuverth is the number one and Solars gets qualified and signed to be a 1B or number two. I have no idea. I've never known what Philly's doing with their goalies, and I still am a little confuzzled by the whole thing. 
Yeah, it'll be really fun in the summer when Steve Mason gets signed somewhere. And then I'll ask you about it on a podcast in our summer series. And you'll be like, oh, this was a brilliant signing. Mason's going to be so good. Now that he's out of Philly, he's finally going to be used properly. And then probably a few weeks into the season, he's going to be backing up whoever's the starting goalie on that team. And you're going to be tearing your hair out. It's going to be a lot of fun. What if Carolina signs him and he backs up Cam Ward? That would be awful. <laughs> or if uh, the other scenario I can think of is a team signs both Jonathan Bernier and Steve Mason, then we go through this all over again. That could be fun. What about Dallas? I feel like Steve Mason could go there because can Dallas really keep going with the goalies they have? Lennon actually has been on a nice run lately. I believe he had a shutout yesterday. And so they got greedy and they started him again today. And right now Tampa Bay is winning five to three. The game is almost over. And yeah, Lennon was in for all five goals against. Lesson for you guys in fantasy. If you have Kari Lennon next week, let's say he has a good game. Cash in when you can like maybe if you need to add him for a game next week go for it i'd rather have him than red obera but if he has one good game i wouldn't go for like two in a row yeah you got to be really careful with carrie letton and a little less careful than with anti niemi but still incredibly careful this stat is often shared or it's not really a stat but the dallas stars are spending 10 and a half million on their goaltenders to just be awful. They were okay at even strength to start the year, but that didn't last. For perspective, the Rangers are actually spending $9.5 because Antti Ranta is signed for a million bucks through to the end of next year. Dallas has just one more year of this awful situation before both of these guys are off the books. I don't know. I'm imagining that they're going to have the patience to wait them out. They've waited it out this long. Why would they stop now? I don't know. Like, they should stop now. But if they haven't stopped by now, I don't know what's going to make them finally pull the trigger. I mean, this was a really bad year. Didn't they make the playoffs last year? Like, I feel like easily missing the playoffs is a good reason to pull the trigger and make a change, you would think. Yeah, well, their offense got worse as well. A lot of things aren't working, and you can argue the defensive pieces just haven't been there as well. I think in Dallas, we're going to see big changes. We're going to see a change behind the bench in the offseason, maybe in the crease. I imagine the GM stays on, but a lot of the moves he's made have been really questionable. Remember when he sent away so many pieces to bring in Chris Russell at the end of last year? Mm, probably wasn't too smart. He blocks a lot of shots. Yeah. The, <laughs> you're forcing me into the old trope because he doesn't have the puck <laughs> often and the other team is taking a lot of shots while he's on the ice. Of course. Well, another guy that's known for blocking shots and another guy who's injured on Philly, bringing it back to injuries and the Philadelphia Flyers. Radko Gudas also left the game yesterday with an injury. He still made sure to give his owners an assist, two penalty minutes, two shots and three hits before leaving. I always appreciate when my player gets injured and it's really disappointing. I'd at least like to know that I didn't waste my spot on that day for him. You know, Gudas gave us something. Then he went out. He also isn't playing today. Definitely a bummer if you added him for both weekend games since he's not playing today. And now you might have to look elsewhere for next week if you're banking on Radko Gudas in your multi-cat league. Like he's averaging around four hits a game, two blocks a game, almost two shots a game, one and a half penalty minutes a game. He even has two goals and one assist in his last four. So he is capable every once in a while to give you a point. He's not a completely empty void of points he's not like mark borowitzki who like never gets a point so like he's amazing for what he does i feel like a good lesson 
that I've learned is like, don't let Radical Gudas fall in your bangers and mash league next year, just because you could rely on him to help you in so many categories. But maybe we'll try to come up with some players that you could replace him with for next week. Maybe take a look at Polak over on Toronto. They play four games and he's also pretty solid for both hits and blocks. And okay, one last thing on Philly. I'll give a quick shout out to Sean Couturier, who had a big one goal and two assist game versus the Islanders on Thursday. He actually has eight points in his last eight games before today. We could take a look quickly and see what he's doing today. I don't know. I don't know why I keep doing this, but it's two to one for the Rangers right now. So not good for Stoli, the goalie. The Philly goal was scored by Phil Pula from Jordan Wheel. Okay, there you go. Nothing for Couturier yet, but he's been pretty decent. Philly plays two games next weekend. So maybe right at the end of your finals matchup going into the weekend, you might want to take a deep dive and grab someone on Philly that's not owned in your league. Maybe you'll go for Couturier. Maybe you go for Jordan Wheel who, like I said, just got a point, and also he's scored goals in four straight games, playing with Simmons and Phil Pula. I'd be actually curious to know, Brian, who would you take between Couturier and Jordan Wheel if you wanted a Philly guy for next weekend? I'll take Couturier since he has been outscoring Wheel, or at least scoring more often than Wheel over the last two, three weeks, even though Wheel has been a little streakier as of late. But one comparison I'm going to make in addition to answering your question is uh, just if you take a look at who has been contributing for Philly lately, Shen and Couturier are both leading the team. They're outscoring Giroud by a point over the last three weeks. Giroud is actually tied with Wheel for third in team scoring over the last two weeks. And of course, Voracek is further behind. And this is not where you expect Claude Giroud and Jacob Voracek to be in team scoring, especially, you know, it, their, their odds are pretty long of making the playoffs, but they still had a fighting chance and their big guns just weren't showing up and continue to not show up. And these are the other Tyler Dello tweets that I'm going to reference. He shared some thoughts this week about how Giroud and Voracek's scoring and shooting rates have tanked over the last few years. And this is something that we've been talking about on the show for a few times, at least this year, anytime wondering where have they gone? What are they doing? Are they still worth what they used to be? And I was hoping that maybe Della would have some answers, but he seems as puzzled as we are about the whole thing. He pointed out, as we have, that shots of theirs don't seem to be coming from as close in as they used to during their better years, and that things really flipped drastically three years ago. But there's also still no explanation for why that's been the case. So I've said it before, and I'll say it again. It's time for a coaching change in Philadelphia, and I sure hope whoever comes in can revive Giroud and Voracek before it's too late. The team has committed big money to both of them. And I almost wonder if Philadelphia should try and move one or both of them if they think that they don't have a realistic shot of going very far in what's going to be the last couple of those guys' most productive years. They need to fix those guys, find a solution, figure out why they're not scoring, their shooting percentages have just tanked, or ship them out and give them to a team that can really use them in a better way. Yeah, that's a smart point. Also, if they're not going to be able to find a goalie, they're probably not going to go far regardless. So yeah, might as well just start the rebuild, maybe trade one of those guys for prospects. Interesting point. And I guess we'll have to see what happens over the summer. That'll definitely be one of the guys we always do our podcasts during our summer series of players who maybe have fallen out of elite status. And Giroux will definitely be on the block uh, as someone who I'll be bringing up that maybe he's no longer an elite player that you can rely on for near point per game production in fantasy. Okay, Brian, more injuries, more injuries. I have so many more injuries to bring up so sad uh maybe we'll do one more and then we'll take a little break but uh james neal day-to-day with an upper body injury over in nashville nashville played today they lost four to one to st louis i'm sure it's not only because james neal is injured i think nashville is a good team 
This opens up a spot on the top power play with Arvidsson, Forsberg, and Johansson, and then I guess Roman Yosi. The lucky winner yesterday was Kevin Fiala, and he didn't get any power play points, but he did score an unassisted even strength goal in the 3-0 win over Minnesota. Nothing for Fiala today. Nashville played against St. Louis, like I said. And actually, it's hard to say what really happened with the power play. Like, I was taking a look at the time on ice for all of their players. And, like, Ellis, Forsberg, Johansson, Yosi, and Subban all had over five minutes. And then there were a bunch of guys who played around two minutes, like Smith and Colin Wilson and Fiala, like I just mentioned. So I'm not sure. I guess, obviously, the obvious guys were on the top power play, like Forsberg and Johansson. Wait, did I even mention Arvidsson? Was he there on the top unit? Yeah, you are missing out on Arvidsson, and you did name three defensemen who were all playing on the top unit today when I desperately needed power play points from Nashville and owning Johansson, Forsberg, and Arvidsson. I'm like, I can get three on a goal. The Predators, even in five-on-three situations, were rolling a two-forward, three-defenseman power play. I feel like I haven't seen that this season, or at least I haven't noticed it. It hasn't happened at least so blatantly in front of my eyes, as it did while I was watching the game against St. Louis today. So yeah, you've got the ice time, right? Their first power play unit was Yozy, Subban, and Ellis, all defensemen, plus Johansson and Forsberg. Wow. I just assumed that maybe between a bunch of different power plays, they were rolling different people, and Ellis got a lot of minutes from the second unit. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, I guess tough break for Arvidsson. He still had four shots today and he's been just having a great year so i'm not gonna knock his value too much just because for one game they decided to put ryan ellis on the top unit though that is questionable anyways all of that to say probably don't grab kevin fiala uh and also nashville only plays tuesday thursday saturday next week so you probably don't really want to be grabbing any free agents from nashville you probably won't have room for any of them on your roster but just like you know if neil stays out someone gets that top power play spot maybe ellis I don't know. Uh, By the way, James Neal, only two goals in his last seven games, currently at 40 points in 68 games on the season, which is only a 48-point pace. So that's a huge disappointment for James Neal, even forgetting about the injuries. Even if he would have played all the games, his pace would have been only 48 points. Are you expecting a bounce back next year, or is James Neal just, like, not very good anymore? Like, now that Victor Arvidsson has really cemented his spot on the top line and James Neal doesn't get to play necessarily with Johansson and Forsberg. I wonder if just all of his value goes out the window. Not all of his value, but, you know, a 50-point guy is very different than a 60-65 point guy as probably a lot of people drafted him as. Yeah, even the difference between 50 and 55 points is somewhat significant in fantasy hockey. Uh, James Neal this year, he took a small bump down in his power play time which attributes for maybe some of his lost points, but he also declined as we thought he might in even strength shot rates. It's not that anything has gone terribly wrong for him this season. I just think this is about what to expect from a sniper who's an average skater at best pushing 30. He's always, I don't know if one dimensional comes across as too harsh for him, but this is sort of the way that players of his ilk age and Danny Heatley and Bobby Ryan and Corey Perry also come to mind. And also keep in mind, James Neal has not had a high-end centerman to feed him. And in his most successful years, he definitely did. His best years came with like, well, on the Penguins doing so well and on the Stars. And I'm not sure if a high-end centerman is going to be coming in to feed him in the future. So his value definitely takes a big bump this season. And I think it's a reasonable thought to bump him down, maybe kind of far down on your draft list next year. 
yeah, so he might be the kind of guy that people might still draft too high and you'll laugh at them thinking that they're getting the old James Neal. Or maybe he'll fall so far in your draft that maybe you'll be able to get him among other 45-point players and it'll feel kind of like a steal because he still probably has some skill and potential to at least give you close to a 50-point pace. It'll be fun to uh, see what happens with him. And you know, Brian, speaking of Nashville, we were talking about maybe rolling some of our joint league winnings into betting on a team to win the cup and i was looking at the odds and i was thinking nashville might be a smart team to bet on just because they're 25 to 1 to win the cup and they seem so solid like that great top line all these really good defensemen like rene has been pretty on his game lately Uh, something to throw out there maybe tweet us let us know who you have as your cup winning favorites especially if you have someone who you think is a bit of a long shot and someone worth putting some money down on i would love if i had a bet on a team to win the cup how fun would it be to then go to a playoff game and watch that team or i guess some people actually just have favorite teams my favorite team is of course my fantasy team but it would be fun to go to an nhl playoff game so why not look into it now as the playoffs are approaching you could get your ticket to go to a playoff game using our sponsor for this week's episode SeatGeek. Buying tickets to sports and concerts can be way too complicated, but there is a better, simpler way to buy with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. With SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing like seeing your favorite team or musician in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for great value. And if you look at the prices on SeatGeek and you think that is really good value, I would love just like, $20 more off the price. You can get that as a listener of Keeping Carlson. Brian, why don't you tell our listeners how? Yes, our listeners, the Keeping Carlson listeners, the Keeping Carlson Nation, or just you, whatever you want to call yourself, you get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app, enter the promo code KEEPING, do it today. That's promo code KEEPING for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Wow. Be a geek. Buy a seat on SeatGeek. Do you think they could hire me to do voice work for them for a commercial? I was kind of trying to do the pro-line voice there. Get in the game. That was better. Or that's also maybe the EA Sports guy, too. EA Sports. It's in the game. That's pretty good. I don't know if it's the same guy for both voices as (laughs) you just did, but uh, one of them was probably accurate somewhat. All right, well, let us know, SeatGeek. Brian, let's get back to injuries. I promise we were going to talk about some non-injuries, but there's still so many. And that's, I think, the main interesting thing in fantasy because when a player gets injured, someone takes that person's spot. You guys all know. And another big name is out. Logan Couture will miss his fourth straight game today for the Sharks versus Vancouver. Is that game even over yet? It looks like, well, it's at the end of the second period and San Jose is winning 2 nothing. I guess Vancouver's not the hardest opponent. Don't get mad at us, guy on Twitter, who always gets mad when we say the Canucks aren't very good. You know, 30 wins and 38 losses and 39 shootout <laughs> losses or overtime losses on the year. It's not a very good season. I'm sorry. We don't need to talk about We're talking about San Jose here. Don't get us sidetracked. Okay, yeah. Couture is injured. Looks like LeBanc was getting top power play time today with the Joes, Marlowe, and Burns. Kind of hard to recommend Kevin LeBanc, though, since he's pointless in the three games he's played since being called up, including today. So maybe he'll get a point before this game is over. Brian, I feel like we haven't really talked about the Sharks much this season, aside from lauding Brent Burns every once in a while and obviously talking about like the goalie situation and Aaron Dell. I guess there was that short Marlowe run at one point where he scored like four goals and then scored a bunch of goals in the games after that. Anyway, I kind of want to go talk about some of these players because it's actually been a pretty disappointing year for a lot of these Sharks forwards. I think a lot of people drafted pretty high. Like Pavelski has 67 points in 78 games before today. So that's a 70-point pace, which is great. 
That's the same as John Tavares and the same as Alex Barkov, but obviously a step down from his 78 points that he had last year. Couture, the guy who I started the segment with by saying he's injured, only 52 points in 73 games for a 58-point pace this year. So less than a 60-point pace for Logan Couture. He actually had a similar pace last year as well. He had 67 points the year before, and I think we all thought Logan Couture had finally broken out to be a real star in the league. At this point, he's 28 years old. I know you like to talk about this aging curve. Maybe he's down to being just a sub 60 point guy moving forward i mean the only thing i think that could maybe save him or bring him back up is if joe thornton maybe finally gets bumped from that top line and he gets to play with pavelski i'd imagine that could help but i'm wondering what your thoughts are on couture like speaking of thornton you know he only has 50 points in 78 games so a very far cry from his 82 last year so everyone disappointing i guess i should say couture isn't really disappointing since he's doing pretty much what he did last year but he was disappointing then anyways thornton Pavelski, Couture, all, I think, less points than we thought they would get. Do you think any of them can bounce back for next year, or do you think these are more reasonable expectations for next season? The Sharks outside of Brent Burns this year, scoring-wise, have been a pretty dull team, and Couture's production especially has not been so juicy. His shot rates declined for the third consecutive year. Lowest 82-game shots on goal pace of his career is coming in this campaign And that is not what you want to see from a player who either scored or was on pace for 30 or more goals in the first full seasons of his career. In those four years, plus a fifth at the end, he averaged above three shots per game. This year, he's down to below two and a half shots per game for the first time in his career. For as long as it stays that way, I can't help but downgrade him. I've always liked him. I think he's got some really great scoring talent, but he's not shooting as often. So of course we can't expect as many goals and the guys around him are also not setting the world on fire. I wonder if San Jose gets into the playoffs and makes a quick exit. I don't know where they go with Thornton and Marlowe definitely old. And then you have Pavelski getting there, maybe already there and Couture also towards the end of his aging curve and not a whole lot else in sight. Like we've talked about Melker Carlson and Thomas Hurdle and Kevin LeBanc and all these other guys who have shown up in the top six, Michael Bodker and Timo Meyer. Timo Meyer. Well, he's still, I think he's the one I'd be excited about, but there just has not been a lot outside of Brent Burns. Like I said, started this to get excited about offensively and even defensively with the way the goalies are playing lately. So it's a weird, weird time. Usually having a San Jose player was a lot better of a thing And then just to talk about Thornton quickly, his shot rates have dropped from low to near negligible. We mentioned this at the start of the season, but it held true. He didn't start pumping them back up, even though they looked so absurdly low. They've stayed that way. Last year's 82 points was too many. And actually, while he's on the ice, uh, beyond himself not taking as many shots, his unit as a whole isn't getting as many pucks on net as they used to. I think he still might be capable of doing more than he did this year, but it is an increasingly risky play with him turning 38 years old next season. You know, like you look at Zetterberg as an old guy who bounced back. That happened, or maybe you can call it a last hurrah, another thing for us to talk about in the offseason. But Zetterberg's doing it in his age 36 season. Thornton has a similar challenge ahead of him in his age 38 season. Yeah, but I mean, they're different players. We're like, Thornton's an assist guy. He's not known for taking many shots. But yeah, Thornton, I mean, four years ago, 
He had 76 points, so an amazing season, a typical Joe Thornton season at the time. I'm sure the following year he was drafted by a bunch of people, and then he fell to 65 points. And I think a lot of people, you know, really dropped them down their draft list, thinking, oh, the decline is starting. And then last year, he had 82 points. So then going into this year, everyone drafted Thornton so high, thinking, oh, he still has it, and he's playing with these great players, and Brent Burns, and the playoffs. And now this year, just a total disaster, right? Like 50 points so far. Next year, definitely you're going to be able to get him a lot lower in your draft. The question will be when to pull the trigger. I don't think he's done. Like, if he's still going to be on the top line, the top power play, he has the potential to get you a ton of assists and a ton of power play points. But, you know, at some point, like you say, it's going to have to end. Maybe it's ended, or maybe this is going to be like a couple years ago where everyone thinks it's starting to end, and then he ends up coming back strong again. I definitely don't think he's going to get 82 again, but maybe at least 60 is possible. 50 points, such a disappointment. 60 points would be really nice. I certainly would be careful at getting my hopes up too high. And just, Elon, you said Zetterberg is different, like, because Thornton is an assist guy. Zetterberg for the last several years has been too. And even like in the peak of his career, he had a few seasons where he's 30 goals or more, but the rest of his career, he's been under 25 goals, under 20 goals, much like Thornton. Oh, well, there you go. I guess I'm just used to, because uh, the last couple of seasons, he's had over 200 shots. And I look at his career and he's had seasons of even over 300 shots. So I don't think yeah. Thornton was ever like that, but yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right in that sense. And I will accept your comment coming from there for sure. Zetterberg has been more of a shooter in his career than Thornton for sure. I guess he must be a low shooting percentage guy then if he's rarely getting more than 20 goals. And yeah, I guess a shooting percentage of 10. Is that good? I don't know. That's reasonable. That's about what, like, that's very reasonable. So uh, I wouldn't call him a low percentage shooter over the last couple of years. He's definitely, he's been under 10%. But uh, actually, for a lot of years in his career, he's been under 10%. So in that sense, yes, he has been a low percentage shooter. Now I'm scrolling through the dock here to see if I had planned on bringing up the Detroit Red Wings later. I don't think I did. You did. I did? Where? Which guy? They're in there. Mantha. Under Mantha. Oh, yeah. Another injury coming up. Okay. Well, let's just go now and talk about Detroit. Yeah, Mantha, another guy who's injured, fractured a finger in a fight on Thursday, will miss the rest of the season. Ends the year with 36 points in 60 games. It'll be really fun trying to project him for next year, like over the summer. Like Mantha obviously had those really great stretches where he was looking like a real breakout, you know, rookie. But then he really faded near the end, mainly looks like due to getting bumped off the line with Henrik Zetterberg. And Zetterberg like has had such an amazing year, up to 66 points in 78 games. He's going to break 70 points. I think he will. And that's a huge bounce back after only 50 points last year similar to Thornton, who has 50 points this year. But like you say, like Zetterberg's a couple years younger. He's he's a kid compared to Joe Thornton. It'll be really fun trying to project him. I'll be, I, I can ask you now if you have any initial thoughts on Zetterberg. Like, I kind of want to get your thoughts on a bunch of these Red Wings. Like they're going to miss the playoffs for the first time in 25 years. They have like a lot of good, I guess, young players like Mantha, Athanasiu, both had their moments, like Nyquist and Tatar, I think are still young. Like, I don't know, I only started learning their names like a couple of seasons ago. I know their defense looks pretty atrocious. Overall, could be a, a good team. I, I wonder what you think about these guys, like if there's anyone that really jumps out at you as like a guy you really want to make sure to draft next year because he's going to be able to get like either the same as Zetterberg this year or close. Before you go about saying that the future is looking bright for Detroit. They're missing the playoffs, yeah, but they have these young guns named Mantha, Thanasio, Tatar, and Nyquist. Tatar and Nyquist are playing in their age 27 and age 28 seasons, respectively, next year. That's well towards the end of their peak years, according to the traditional forward aging curve. So while, Elon, you're right, 
We've only started hearing their names regularly over the last couple of years, maybe a few years if you want to stretch it. I'm sorry, we've already missed their best years. And you can think the very long pipeline that Detroit prospects have had to travel for that. So if you're looking to the future and hoping it looks bright, you're looking at Manta and Athanasiu, and you're also looking at Dylan Larkin and your uh, Martin Furk, maybe Ryan Spruill. Like there really isn't a lot of sunshine in Detroit. Years of drafting late and prioritizing role players is really catching up to them. And as we've mentioned before on the show, they're the highest cap spending team this year. Missing the playoffs, not a very good look for them. Zetterberg, you're wondering about what he can do next year. Well, when I was trying to figure that out, I actually shook my head. I was in a public place. I shook my head and muttered, wow, when I realized that Henrik Zetterberg is fifth in the entire NHL in even strength points this year. He has just one less five-on-five point than Mark Scheifele and Sidney Crosby and with less to work with than those guys, too. He also hangs on to a top 10 spot in even strength points per 60 minutes this year, which is just incredible for a guy his age, especially after the season he had last year. That said, here comes the wet blanket. While his individual shooting percentage in IPP and point scoring rates are up at the levels of his peak years and well above where they've been in the two seasons prior to this one, Zetterberg's shot rates have slipped for the fifth consecutive year and by a pretty substantial extent. But hey, maybe he can make some of that up by picking up some more power play points next year. If he finishes the year with his current 13 points, remember he's been doing all his work at even strength. That'll be those 13 points will be the lowest power play point total that he's put up since his rookie season, which is weird because last year was the inverse where he had 22 power play points, but was significantly less productive at even strength. All in all, I'm not counting on a repeat, but maybe there's more hope that he can offer 55 points with upside rather than 55 being his ceiling. And I also was wondering, Elon, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this off the cuff, but with Datsuk leaving, you might have thought that maybe there was less for him to be able to do, but maybe he's had more offensive responsibility. Nielsen has also entered the lineup too to offset some of Datsuk leaving. I don't know how to make sense of it all. Uh, it's just been a really good season with Datsuk gone and he wasn't able to do it last year, although Datsuk was injured for a bunch of last year too. I think Zetterberg's a really good player, and I think that last year, for whatever reason, he was having some trouble. We could go back and see who his line mates were. Obviously, he's been clicking recently with Nyquist, and before he was clicking with Mantha. Hopefully, he still has a couple more good years left in him, but I don't think I'll be drafting him as a 70-point guy next year. Give me, like, John Tavares before him. Brian, maybe a tougher question would be, like, Couture versus Zetterberg next year. Who are you drafting first of those guys, just in a one-year league? That's a tough one. I feel like Zetterberg will be available cheaper, like at a later draft pick. So I will probably just go with whatever guy I think provides me the most value with where I'd have to get them at the draft. Okay, so you've heard it from Brian. Once either Zetterberg or Couture gets drafted, go go and draft the other guy, I guess. <laughs> I, <is your> <laughs> I, guess I guess that's what I'm saying. It was kind of a cop-out. If I had to predict who's going to get more points next season, man, I would love it to be Couture, but I would have to like see the first few weeks to see if he starts shooting again. Uh, I, it's it's really hard. I'm going to go Couture. I'm going to say... But Zetterberg I, might have the higher upside. I'm going to say that I think Zetterberg will be better than Couture unless Joe Thornton gets bumped from line one and Couture gets to play with Pavelski. I think that would be nice for him. By the way, anyways, let's get back to this year. I guess we've been doing a lot of talking to the future. Maybe a lot of these people hoping for some nuggets. 
going into their final week of their playoffs. They're like, what are you guys doing here? You have all summer to talk about this. So yeah, let's look at next week. Detroit plays Monday and Tuesday, and then Saturday and Sunday. So it might be a nice opportunity to stream someone for those first two games, then drop that guy, and then maybe add them back right before the weekend. I guess I'd go Nyquist first of guys that might be available. Then Tatar, as both are on the top line and power play with Zetterberg. Nyquist had a goal in this just yesterday versus Toronto. He has seven points in his last six games, so he's definitely hot. He's looking good. Mike Green has scored in two straight games and has nine shots on goal in those games. Also, overall, pretty disappointing season for Mike Green, but he could make a decent stream if you're looking for a defenseman who could give you shots and maybe some like power play points, maybe a goal. Uh, that's pretty much it, Brian. Like any, any final thoughts on the Red Wings before we move on probably until next season? Bummer that they missed the playoffs. It was a really nice run. I don't mean to pile on our listeners who are Detroit Red Wings fans. If you are and you can't take it anymore, just plug your ears for like another 90 seconds or so. I mean, I like what Mike Green should be able to offer the team, but Nicholas Cronwall is inexplicably still seeing a larger share of the power play time than Mike Green. Why, Detroit, when you have Mike Green, are you still trotting out a half-broken 36-year-old, barely there, Nicholas Cronwall, out on your top power play? He's never been an elite power play guy. Yeah, he had some good power play numbers in his career, but they were more because of who he played with rather than how he played himself, what he contributed. Ugh, it's so silly. Like, as someone, I drafted Mike Green, and I, I think I've had him on my team for the last two years, thinking Detroit has no one else to turn to, yet they do anyway. It ain't easy being green or owning <laughs> green. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> uh, okay, Brian, hey, how would you like uh, some more injuries? How does that sound to you? I was just thinking we haven't talked about injuries enough this week. All right, let's do our weekly penguins roster chat so this week chris kunitz got injured and malkin stayed injured even though he was supposed to maybe only miss a game or two from his block shot clearly that wasn't the case on the plus side shiri and gensel came back so the top line was back together crosby gensel and shiri today both shiri and gensel had power play goals today in the 3-2 win over carolina shiri from the first unit gensel from pp2 so nice to see that some offense could even come from the non-crosby Kessel, Hornquist, Shiri, and Justin Schultz unit. Uh, also, the other two lines that were like Hornquist, Kunakel, and Cullen, and then Kessel, Benino, and Rust. Not not great for Kessel and Hornquist, who seem to be playing with you know middling guys. Obviously, I'd prefer Crosby, Gensel, or Shiri, or maybe that's maybe that's the hot take. I don't know if. Well, yeah, it's actually interesting. But it doesn't really matter. No one has the option of choosing between Kessel and Gensel, so I'm not even going to ask. That's a silly thing. Actually, what I do want to ask you about the Penguins is what's up with Justin Schultz. He's pointless in six now. No points again today. He's been on the top power play this whole time. It's supposed to be a very lucrative spot for points. They scored a power play goal today. I assume he was on the ice and just didn't touch the puck. But is he a potential snoozer for next week? I'm sure a lot of people have him on their teams. And you think he's like a slam dunk. He was so good all season long. The Pens play four times. Seems like you got to stick with Justin Schultz. But, I mean, pointless in six games. If he goes pointless for four more, that could really hurt. I don't know if we should just blow right past that Kessel-Gensel argument. I think it's a good one. Like, if you own both guys and you've got to sit one for some reason, like you don't have Josh Bailey or Pat Maroon or Nick Foligno, I'm just naming the guys I have at the bottom of my roster, but you don't have an easy, sure sit, people must be wondering at this point, is it time to consider Phil Kessel, someone who has sit on a busy night, just 11 points in his last 21 games, the most jarring number of that span, only one goal in 21 games since February 17th. And actually Bill West of the Pittsburgh Tribune looked into this 
a little bit to see what's been happening. Why have his goals dried up all of a sudden? And he did mention how his shot locations are drifting away from the places where he's traditionally been successful, like him moving from Toronto to Pittsburgh initiated or was the catalyst for a change in what he was asked to do and where he was asked to shoot from and what his role was. And it's, uh, I don't know, he's not in as great a position to score goals. He might still be as good at scoring them, but he's just not asked to score them or play the same way as he was in Toronto. Yeah, also it's probably going to be harder to score goals when the guys you're relying on to pass you the puck are Benino and Rust as opposed to Malkin or, you know, some superstar like he's generally playing with. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair too. Uh, And then going on to Schultz, uh, what can we expect from him? I don't know. I am a guy who has been in the finals this week with Latang on my IR and needing Schultz to be Latangish to compete. I'm pretty upset about the whole thing, as I imagine many Schultz owners are beyond being pointless in six. This is two points in his last 11 games. And this is after a run where he had three shots in seven of eight games played. He's now on a different kind of run where he's had two shots or fewer in seven of his last nine games played. Schultz's ice time and power play shares have actually remained similar throughout, though. And the Pens, you know, despite being depleted, lots of guys have been missing from their lineup. They have been scoring about as many goals as they normally have over the last couple of weeks while Schultz has been cold. And so maybe it's gotten to the point where, I don't know, guys missing hurts him more than it does offer him an opportunity to step up. I'm just really speculating here. If I'm a Schultz owner who's playing next week, I'd still hang on and hope for more than he's given lately. But you're also at the point where you do need to do your due diligence and peruse your alternate options in free agency. He is no longer a must start until he shows some signs of recovery. So Brian, I'm going to do a super swerve on you here. I'm going to say I would hold on to Justin Schultz. Like, come on. You're, who else is, do you have available to you that's playing on the top power play with Sidney Crosby? So stick with Schultz. Justin Schultz or Mike Green or Nicholas Cronwall? That's, is that a serious question? No. <laughs> okay, I'm not even going to answer. It's obvious. Let's go to some more injuries. Jason Zucker, day-to-day with a lower body injury. Probably not a big deal. Anyways, like... He's only got three points in his last 15 games. I'm sure no one has him anymore. There was a stretch this year where Jason Zucker was one of the many Minnesota players helping various fantasy teams. Let's take a look at the Lions today in Minnesota for their 5-2 to two win over the Colorado Avalanche. They were going Granlund, Hala, and Koivu, Niederreiter, Parise, and Stahl, and then Coyle with Hansel and Pominville. So a strong-looking top nine as we've seen all year. I guess the one guy that is normally not there is Eric Hala. So he's someone that I might want to look at. He actually. Got a couple of points today. Actually, all the guys I just mentioned had at least one point today in this 5-2 win, except for Nino Niederreiter, who put up a goose egg. But yeah, uh, Minnesota plays only Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday next week, which doesn't look very good. But those games are against Carolina, Colorado, and Arizona. So you could see them potentially scoring a lot of goals. So any of these guys in the top six could be capable of giving you a point. I'm not even going to try to ask you, Brian, who you would want of all of these guys. If you want to jump in with that, you can. The one thing I really actually do want to ask you about on Minnesota is finally today, Devin Dubnik had a good game. It helps, obviously, that he was against Colorado. They got the 5-2 win. He made a bunch of saves. But, like, things have been bad for Devin Dubnik. He let in five goals on 20 shots versus Washington earlier this week. Then he got benched. Like, Alex Stalock came in to play 
on Thursday because they obviously have no faith in Kemper. And Stalock had a good game versus Ottawa. He only led on one goal on 19 shots in the 5-1 win over the Sens. And then Stalock got the start again yesterday, and he led in only two goals on 35 shots. He's got a 944 save percentage on the season, though it's only in those two games that he's played. But meanwhile, like I said, Dubnik has been struggling. He had that bad game earlier this week, and we talked about him before as someone who had been struggling for a while. Nice that Dubnik had a good game today, though it was against Colorado. I'm curious to know, Brian, would you recommend people starting Dubnik? Like if they're in a situation where let's say they already have a good save percentage or goals against average and they might want to go for an extra win, but they don't want to risk their save percentage. It used to be, yeah, of course play Dubnik. It's like Carey Price. Like he's only going to help you. He's not going to blow you up. But I don't know, like they're playing Carolina who could score some goals. I guess maybe against Colorado and Arizona, you would think should be pretty safe starts if he plays them. Though Arizona just blew up Holtby a couple of nights ago. So you never know. And Dubnik has been shaky. He sure has been shaky. And I don't really know what to say about it. I think, Elon, this was either on the patron cast or last week where we went over the possible reasons. And I don't think workload is one of them because he has played full seasons before and not collapsed this way down the stretch so i don't know maybe he's another year older so the workload does take a bigger toll i'm not surprised though that the wild decided to turn to alex stalock who before you get too excited about him keep in mind he's no spring chicken he is a 29 year old journeyman about to turn 30 this summer he played 45 games in the ahl this year which is the most action he's seen in a season since he played 38 games for san jose's ahl affiliate in 2012 2013 In the three seasons between then and now, he's been an NHL backup seeing fewer than 25 games a year. Anyway, maybe those extra games in the AHL have helped him. He's done very well putting up the best save percentage in the minors that he's ever had. And it's nice for him to get a shot. Like, why not? If Darcy Kemper is the other option and Dubnik is looking lost, then makes sense to throw Stalock in there and see what he can do. I like him above Kemper. I still don't really trust him as a backup goalie, but I would rather put my trust in him in a desperate situation than I would in Kemper. Okay, and and we're going to get out of injuries now. I have some outjuries and some hot streaks to end the show. Another quick one, Brian, I just added, because I just saw this right before we went on the air. Zach Wierenski got injured in the game today. Columbus versus Washington apparently was a very physical game, potentially a future playoff matchup. Uh, But yeah, if Wierenski's injured, that would be big trouble for Columbus. I would think he's our top power play defenseman. And of course, in fantasy, you know, the thing is, I was thinking of coming on the show and mentioning Wierenski as a cold streak guy. He's actually gone now six straight games without a point. So uh, maybe if he goes on the IR, you know, makes your decision easier if you own him of whether or not you want to play him in this last week. I would have said stick with him. Like he had a cold streak before and he bounced back in a strong way. No reason why he can't again while he's on the top power play. And, you know, he did actually take four shots today before getting injured. I don't even know for sure. I guess, yeah, he for sure missed some time. I don't know the full status yet because, like I said, I just saw a tweet about it right before we went on. Uh, if Wierenski is injured, obviously you want to jump on Seth Jones if he's available as a free agent. Jones is someone who's been like pretty decent on the year, even though he hasn't been on the top power. But like, he has 40 points in 71 games, which is a really good pace, especially for a defenseman. And he gets like a good number of shots. And, you know, he also helps you in the peripherals. He gets some blocks. So, yeah, with Wierenski out, if slash with Wierenski out, then yeah, grab Seth Jones for sure. Yes, do that. Okay. All right, Brian, out jury's time. Let's talk about some players who came back. I guess throughout the injury section, we've thrown in some other guys. But yeah, so in Anaheim, John Gibson finally returned yesterday. Anaheim lost 3-2 to two in OT to Edmonton, but Gibson was really good. He stopped 34 of 37 shots. And I still think that 
overtime goals against. Something in fantasy, something needs to be done in fantasy for your goalie letting in a goal in overtime. It's three on three. Like, of course, your goalie is going to let in a goal. There's a very good chance of it. I don't think that goal should count against your save percentage. Anyway, I think it would be cool if someone could come up with a rule where maybe those goals against don't count for save percentage. Even with the goal against, he still had a decent save percentage, you know, stopping 34 of 37. Meanwhile, Bernier was very good in Gibson's absence. So it's tough to say maybe who will play in the three games next week. I remember the last time I talked about Gibson coming back from injury when it looked like he was going to be coming back. And I was saying, I wonder if Bernier will maybe get some starts. And you said, oh, don't be crazy. Of course, Gibson's the guy. But, you know, now Bernier just kept on going and kept on playing pretty well. Bernier plays today for Anaheim's game versus Calgary. And then they play Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday of next week. So I guess obviously we'll see how Bernier does tonight. And then, I don't know, it'll be interesting to see who gets the starts next week. I don't, I would be surprised if Gibson plays all three games. I'll bet you Bernier is going to get in for at least one of them. The Ducks have been given reasons to turn to Jonathan Bernier. He has a record of 11-2-2 with a 9.36 save percentage in his last 15 starts, many of them coming while Gibson was out. The other surprising fact about Jonathan Bernier is that he's getting paid $4.2 million this year. A lot of salary cap talk tonight. That's crazy. He's an unrestricted free agent next year. So this has been a good time for him to put up a good run. He's revitalized his career as a potential starter again. I am not necessarily a believer that he is anything better than average, but maybe he could be worth taking a chance on for an NHL team looking for 1A or 1B. In the meantime, we're looking at the rest of the season. I don't know that I would be afraid to start Jonathan Bernier. And that's about as ringing an endorsement I can give. I feel like he started to become a little inconsistent during the end of this run where he's had this amazing save percentage. And maybe I should be a little more comfortable with him, but I just I just can't get there. So, but you should be. I think I'm being unreasonable about it. I don't I don't think so. I mean, he's given you lots of reasons for a few years now to maybe be not so certain about him. Though those were years with Toronto and then he had that really shaky start this year for Anaheim, including that eight goal against game when Gibson had diarrhea. But let's not bring that up again. Uh, sticking with Anaheim, who else had Patrick Eves over the last couple of weeks? Brian, we picked him up early on last week in our semifinals in our joint league and he rewarded us so much he has six goals in his last seven games a power play goal yesterday along with six hits mvp mvp for patrick eves so good obviously playing with ryan Getzlaff is a good situation to be in Getzlaff, by the way he scored yesterday as well and he's up to 67 points in 70 games so almost a point per game pace for ryan Getzlaff. Last year, he only had 63 points in 77 games. This is a big jump for him, a big bounce back, a Zetterberg-like bounce back. I don't know, close. I mean, he wasn't as bad as Zetterberg last year, but curious to know, a lot lot of these older guys, Like, what do you think next year for Ryan Getzlaff? Closer to a 70-point pace or closer to the 80-point pace that he's been putting up this year? I think you're going to probably say 70-point pace. I was going to ask you here, Getzlaff versus Couture for next year, but I feel like it's an easy question, right? It's obviously Getzlaff. Yeah, the answer is definitely gets left between those two. And I will talk about him. But first, I have to say, I was like laughing out loud to myself, like poor John Gibson. He gets diarrhea <laughs> like it happens to be televised. And now it's referenced repeatedly on a podcast. <laughs> well, it really screwed me. Yeah, I'm sure it was. I wonder who it was more unpleasant for. It's just that, that it has to now it's forever. John Gibson having diarrhea is now forever. Okay, uh, back on track or trying to get back on track. Uh, Ryan Getzlaff 
Uh, his numbers have been helped this year by six power play goals. That's his highest power play goal total since 2010-2011, though he hasn't taken any more shots to really justify those goals with the man advantage. So maybe he won't get as many. And of course, like six is still not a lot. Like other years have been like three or four. So maybe it's something that we shouldn't even really be focusing on. He's also seen in sad news, the biggest single season shot rate decline of his career And maybe in a related way, it's actually not happening just on an individual level. Uh, While he's on ice, the Ducks are averaging five fewer unblocked shot attempts per 60 minutes than he ever has in the last two years. And it's also his career low watermark in that category, on ice, unblocked shot attempts. So maybe it's not just him. Maybe it's the guys around him as well. Maybe something's changed with how they're playing. Anyway, it's a little odd because the clients we've seen from Getzlaff this season, even though he's still producing, they'd be enough for a couple of years. So maybe he's gotten all his decline for next year out of the way already, and he can hold steady for next year if he can. I think he's good for 65 next year with upside for a few more. Also danger for less, but keep in mind, he's still just 32 years old. No matter how old he looks, no matter how bald he's been forever, uh, he's got a good couple of years left of reliable production. And then talking about Patrick Eves, how about his beard? It's getting him a lot more airtime on TV broadcasts. And that would be a fun stat for your league to track, wouldn't it? How many times the camera cuts to a player or how much total broadcast time he gets. Uh, But to the more pertinent categories that are actually counted. Yawn. Yeah, sorry. Uh, He's 32 years old. He's a veteran poised to be a 30-goal scorer. A 30-goal scorer, which is amazing enough as it is, but it's also the first time in his 12-year career that he would hit that mark. 29 goals so far, four games left to play. Why do you think he's got so many goals, Elon? If you were to guess why a player has an abnormal amount of goals, what would you say? High shooting percentage. Right. You would say that, but in this case, I set you up. You'd be wrong. He's seeing more ice time than ever before. He's used to playing 10 to 13 minutes a game every other of the 11 years of his career. This year, and we mentioned this earlier in the season when he was still with Dallas, he's playing 16 plus minutes each game and so he's putting up pretty much the same rate stats as he always has but he's doing it with increased ice time so he's registering more shots on goal than he ever has before averaging a smidge less than three per game since joining the ducks compared to somewhere between one and a half and two shots per game for the rest of his career to date elon for next year who'd you rather have patrick eaves or Ricard Raquel? Oh, I thought maybe you would ask me that question, but like for next week of who you want on Anaheim. And I would have said Patrick Eves because he's playing on the top power play with Getzlaff while Raquel, they're on the same line together with Getzlaff for, for even strength, but Raquel's on the second power play unit. For next year, is Eves like signed for next year? He's not like, I assumed that he was just going to be an unrestricted free agent and was going to go to some other team. Uh, Patrick Eves making $1 million this year and a UFA next year. But let's say nothing changes in his status. Like, let's say he stays with the Ducks or another team, and they play him 16 and a half minutes a night. And um, I asked this question. Like, you're, you were right to answer for the rest of this fantasy season. That was definitely much more pertinent. But I'm asking this because I'm seeing Patrick Eves, 30 goals, not necessarily luck. We're all along the way with Ricard Raquel. I'm saying he's not taking the shots to justify the 30 goals he's scored. Patrick Eves' shooting percentage is a little higher than it should be, but I have shown much more concern with Ricard Raquel's sustainability than Patrick Eves. 
Yeah, I guess the thing with Raquel is he's young and he might still be on the uptick. He's finally getting like really good. Op- I guess he had some pretty good opportunities last year when he was playing with Perry and Getzlaff and this year, you know, continuing with Getzlaff. I don't know. I think that I would take like Raquel for next year just because Patrick Eves also has a bit of an injury history. Like you were saying how he's going to maybe have his first ever 30 goal year. I'm pretty sure he was on pace for other 30 goal years. He just got injured so often in Dallas, right? No, he's never even been on pace for 30 goals in his career. Like his career scoring pace to date before this season has been 14 goals, 14 and a half per season, if you want to be generous. So no, even in limited ice time, you thinking that he might've been able to get close to 30 goals that way. No, he has never been close. He did have 14 goals with Dallas in 47 games back in 2014, 15. That's way closer than he ever really got at any other time in his career, often falling right around, well, the 15 goal pace mark. All right. I'm convinced. I'm going to say Raquel for next year over Eves in this very hypothetical, weird question. Uh, let's talk about some more outjuries. A big one today. Tyler Johnson returned for the Lightning, and they also got Kucherov back after he missed a game with an illness. So they're starting to get healthy. They might even be getting more healthy because Steven Stamkos could be returning any game now. There's been word. There was maybe word that he was going to play this weekend. That didn't happen. Maybe he'll come back soon. Might be too late, unfortunately, for their playoff push. They're going into today. They were four points back with five games to go, though they did win today. And you were talking about how Ottawa has been sliding. I would love to, like, I guess I already said this, but I would love to see Tampa Bay sneak in. I think they could do some damage, especially if Stamkos comes back. Might be a good bet to make. They're like 40 to one Stanley Cup odd winners right now, probably mainly because it's going to be so hard for them to even make the playoffs. But with some luck, I think they could definitely pull out an upset in that first playoff round. But anyways, we're talking about fantasy here, talking about Tyler Johnson returning. Of course, my big concern with Tyler Johnson returning was what would this mean for Braden Point? At least for today, Braden Point is safe. They were going with Kucherov, Palat, and Point, and then drew in with Johnson and Alex Killorn. So Johnson went on second line. Braden Point continues to center Kucherov and Palat, which is just fantastic for him. He's been on such a nice run. He has nine points in his last 10 games before today, playing with Kucherov and Palat at even strength and on the power plays. Obviously a big reason for that. Today, Tampa beat Dallas 6-3. to And taking a look at who did what here, let's see. Braden Point got a goal, of course. Good for him. Just keeps his great season going, assisted by Palat and Jake Dotchin over on defense. Palat, by the way, is on an amazing run. I feel like we've been so excited about Braden Point. That's just because Palat is probably already owned in a lot of leagues, but we got to give him the credit he deserves. He's on fire. He's got 14 points in his last 12 games. That's before today. And then Palat with a nice little goal and two assists today. So just really increasing that amazing pace. Kucherov actually only an assist today, which is rare for him. He usually does more, especially when Tampa Bay scores six. But yeah, he's just, you know, a bonafide superstar guy that should probably be picked in the first round of your draft next year. We talked actually on our patron cast this past Wednesday. By the way, side note, really fun patron cast, I thought. It was really fun for the people who were there. I think we had a lot of fun with the people in the chat room. Also, you know, all of our patrons have access to download the Patreoncast after the fact. In fact, if you signed up to become a patron of Keeping Carlson, you could download the Patreoncast from last week where we talked about a lot of interesting topics. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. KeepingCarlson.com slash patron if you're so interested. Uh, we were talking on the Patreoncast about what Braden Point's value will be for next year. And we were bringing up that maybe it might be tough for him to crack the top six once, you know, Stamkos is back and, you know, some of these other guys. And then and then we were mentioning how there's also this guy, Gusev, who might be coming over from the KHL. We said maybe he could crack the top six. 
Uh, apparently, it's not very likely, though, because Gusev is currently signed by a KHL team and he'd have to buy out his contract. This is what Ryan W. was telling me on the Facebook group. But anyways, he's a highly touted prospect, someone that might be to watch. Anyways, all that to say, I'm not sure where I would draft Braden Point for next year because I don't know. If he can't play with Kucherov or Stamkos, I don't think I have much value for him. Okay, and you've got Nikita Gusev also entering the picture. So yeah, I, at the start of that discussion on the patron cast, you should listen to the whole thing if you're able to, if you're a patron. And if not, well, you can join now or later and listen. Like It's an evergreen conversation until at least October 2017. Andre Palat, by the way, uh, yeah, doing really well. Finally, or at least for a little while, we've been able to say finally. And he's actually had a nice spike in shot attempt shares since mid-January, which coincides with a couple things. The first one being his return from a short time on the shelf with a lower body injury. He only missed a couple games, but he's come back a lot better since then. I don't know if he's playing with something nagging. The other thing that's coincided with a spike in good underlying numbers is his return to playing consistently with Kucherov and Tyler Johnson and with Kucherov in point while Johnson was out. It was Nemesnikov that he was playing with instead of Johnson for a while preceding this. Though in all fairness to Nemesnikov, uh, this really is Palat's best wave of shot attempt shares in like the last two years when he had also played with Tyler Johnson. Anywho, Palat is a guy who can threaten for 60, 65 points when things are going well for him. And right now they are. Yeah, I think if I don't have Palat on my fantasy team for next week, I'm hoping that he slumps next week, sticks with, I guess, now the 49 points he has on the year, which is like a disappointing number, and hope that he falls in my draft. Because I think if he's playing with Kucherov or with Stamkos, he could definitely have a big bounce back. He was doing nothing for so much of this season, but so hot right now. Brian, by the way, who is Yanni Gourd? And why does he have goals in each of his last three games? That was going into today. Today... He uh, kept it up. He didn't score a goal, but he had an assist. So that's like four straight games with points for Yanni Gourd. Who is this guy? Yanni Gourd is an undrafted, undersized 26-year-old forward. Undersized is putting it lightly. Just five foot nine is what he's listed at. And usually that can be exaggerated by an inch. Uh, and he is 167 pounds. He's been a pretty good scorer in the AHL over the last couple of years. And we've seen undersized guys be able to do that somewhere between a 60, 70 point pace during his time in the minors. I'm not quite sure, though, what his upside might be at the pro level. So even though he is picking up a lot of points, maybe is like a real deep ad. But otherwise, there are probably some slightly more dependable guys available to you. Yeah, obviously for next week, if you can, I'd rather have someone like a Braden Point or maybe even an Alex Killorn playing with Johnson and Druin. Yanni Gourd is playing on a line with Nemesnikov and Adam Ernie, who also had a really good game today, but this was against Dallas and Lettinen after Lettinen had had a good game yesterday. So it's guaranteed that a bunch of people were going to get a lot of points, right? Okay, Brian, no more injuries, no more outries. Let's end the show with some hot streaks. Austin Matthews, someone that you totally have no access to in your free agency and you never will again. We'll have to talk about where to draft him, though, because he's riding an eight-game point streak and a four-game goal streak after his two-goal and one-assist game yesterday versus Detroit. The dude is 19 years old, and he's up to 66 points on the year. I think he'll definitely hit 70 points. Like, he's just rolling. Like, maybe definitely is harsh, but I, I think that he can do it. I think he's going to hit 70 points. Same as all these other people we've talked about who we were saying, like Tavares, who should be drafted in the first round. Here's Austin Matthews. That's his floor, I feel like. like he could probably do even better next year. This is rookie 19-year-old season. Is he going to hit 80 points next year? And with all of these shots on goal that he gets, 
Is he someone that you think you would see yourself? Could you see yourself drafting him in the first round of your fantasy draft next year? Let's say you have like ninth overall or something. Would that be crazy to just go Austin Matthews and hope for a point per game season with like three, four shots per game? I don't think it would be crazy. These Maple Leafs rookies, by the way, like as a whole, with Nylander getting his second rookie of the month, not of the season in March, that honor has now gone to a Leafs rookie in four of six months this year with Matthews and Marner, of course, being the others involved. Liney and Wierenski are the non-Leaf rookies of the month this year in the NHL. And uh, yeah, to answer your question, Matthews, I think the sky is the limit for him. I'm trying to figure out myself who I would draft first between him and Jack Eichel. Do you have any thoughts? Ooh, tough. Like the way you just spoke about him, in my mind, that puts him above Jack Eichel. But Jack, I don't know. I, like, I don't think Eichel's extra year being in the NHL does anything to give him an advantage over Matthews with the way Matthews has handled himself this year. So it's about who you think has the better upside period. I think it might be Matthews. I mean, Eichel has 55 points in 57 games this year. So he's getting a point every game himself, also taking a ton of shots. Uh, like he plays on the top power play. Toronto has two power play units, but like, does it really matter? Like Matthews still gets all of these points. I don't know. That's tough. Tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. Let us know if you would prefer Matthews or Eichel next year. I don't even want to venture a prediction right now. I, maybe during the summer series, we'll have to rank a bunch of these young studs. Like we also have Patrick Laine, who deserves to be in this conversation. Uh, anyways, but we're on Toronto. Frederick Anderson is back, by the way, so the Leafs don't have to kiss their season goodbye with McElhenney at the helm. They'll have Anderson back going into the playoffs. It'll be really fun to see what the Leafs can do with all of these great young rookies in a uh, playoff run. I'm very happy to be living in Toronto. I'm going to, Brian, I'm going to be buying myself a Toronto Maple Leafs shirt next week and i'm gonna wear it to work no. I'm, re- I'm going to do it no I'm gonna, I'm gonna piss off all the sense fans and i don't care go leafs go okay that's that's harsh you just want to be call- you're you're a people pleaser you just want to walk around and have someone smile at you and give you a high five no i'm actually more excited to see my brother who's one of those diehard sense fans that like actively cheers for the Leafs to lose like even when they're not competing for a playoff spot it just like he brings him as much pleasure for the Leafs to lose than for the Sens to win I just want to wear that shirt around him and have him tear his hair out well I believe being a Leafs fan like one of the primary reasons for doing so is to antagonize others at every opportunity so here you go you are a true Leafs fan in some way because of this it's also to suffer though so be prepared for that well, no, then I'll just jump off the bandwagon. That's what makes it fun. But yeah, antagonizing, that's why I play fantasy hockey. Brian, in our joint league, I've been having so much fun all season antagonizing everyone in the league on our like message board, talking about how much better we are. I've been like guaranteeing my victory for weeks now. And now that we've won and I'm trying to brag and they don't even respond. They finally found the defense to all of my braggadocious comments they just ignore me and it really pisses me off because i want them to tell me how annoying i am and how much i suck and how they're going to beat me next year so i could make fun of them some more but now i'm just like speaking into a void so that is kind of sad anyway i do look forward to pissing people off as i'm sure i've done with maybe some of my takes on this podcast i don't know let's see if this is a take that will piss some people off hot take i would rather have sven andrew over matt duchene or gabriel landeskog next week okay Guess who's Colorado's leading scorer over the past eight games before today? The answer, Sven Andrigetto with eight <laughs> points. Add another assist today, which he got on Rantanen's goal. That means he narrowly beats out Nathan McKinnon, who is ending the season strong with seven points in his last eight games. But you know what? 
Andrew Ghetto did not so narrowly beat out Duchesne and Landeskog over these past eight games because they both had zero. Landeskog actually scored a goal today. So his first goal in like two weeks. But Brian, you're really so shocked that I'm saying I'd rather have Andrew Ghetto than Duchesne or Landeskog for this final week of the fantasy season. I understand why you might say that because I'm sure you thought that Andrew Ghetto was still with the Habs, but no, he's no. You thought you thought Andrew Ghetto was still with the Habs. I'm not. I was. I was hoping. I was playing up the drama of your crazy take, and then you go ahead and insult me. You didn't hear about the big blockbuster trade that sent Andrew Ghetto to the Abs for Andreas Martinson. Yeah, well, I think Colorado won that one. But, I mean, it also makes sense. Like, Andrew Ghetto's been playing on a line with Nathan McKinnon and Miko Rantanen. He's also been playing with them on the power play. Like, he's getting good opportunity, and clearly he's taking advantage. Like I said, a point per game over the past couple of weeks. Colorado plays four games next week. They are Colorado. They don't score often. But clearly, Andrew Ghetto is someone that is finding a way to get some points. But, of course... At the same time, maybe someone like Miko Rantanen is available in free agency. I wonder if you just go with him since he has a higher pedigree. Though, actually, I don't even know. Like, is Sven Androgetto someone with a high pedigree? Like, I'll be honest. Yeah, okay. Maybe now I know that he's on Colorado, which is a step up for me and what I knew about him a couple of weeks ago. But, like, what is his pedigree coming into the league? Is he someone people should care about? Someone we thought had the potential to get some points? Or is he just a nobody doing something because he happens to be on a good line? He's a guy who had shown flashes at the NHL level over the last couple of years, but Andrew Ghetto had only been consistently successful at the AHL level. Uh, he did score at a near point per game pace during a couple rather short-lived demotions to the St. John's Ice Caps, Montreal's minor league affiliate. He has talent, and now he's getting more of a chance to show it with the Abs than he really did with the Habs. Five goals over 23 shots over 14 games as a member of the Avalanche. Maybe their best acquisition from Montreal since Patrick Waugh. <laughs> anyway, like you said, he has been attached to Rantanen. Usually McKinnon has been the third piece, uh, sometimes Duchesne. And the weird thing is, I was looking up the, the with or without you numbers for Rantanen and McKinnon to see, hey, like, is this Andrew Ghetto kid making them better? Like, are they playing more offensively, more successfully with him on their line? The answer is no. He's not making them play any better. They seem at least as good without him than they are with him. But it is nice that something seems to be clicking and they are collecting points. Uh, I wouldn't take Andrew Ghetto over Rantanen. I would prefer Rantanen because of the pedigree of that line. Andrew Ghetto is obviously the third person you choose. But over Duchesne, yeah. Yeah, I think you could at this point, especially with only one week remaining. Definitely over Landeskog. Oh, I would have said definitely over Duchesne and then maybe over Landeskog. Duchesne's the one I gave up on first. Landeskog took me a little bit longer before I finally gave up on him. Do you have their point totals in front of you? Like, were you right to give up on Landeskog later than you did Duchesne? Okay, so over the last, let's go over the last 60 days. Duchesne has eight points in 31 games and Landeskog has 13 points. So wow. Landeskog destroying Matt Duchesne. <laughs> you made the right call by holding on to Landeskog. So sad. These are super sad. These are guys who people drafted. I have Landeskog in a league. I drafted him planning for him to be a keeper in our league against each other. It's 10 keepers. I must have taken Landeskog with like my sixth or seventh pick. 
I actually ended up dropping him and then I added him back right before I was eliminated. So I have the option to keep him next year, but will I? We've talked about him enough. This Colorado, let's not even talk about Colorado anymore, except to say, obviously, Sven Andrigetto. Maybe you want to pick him up for your final week, him or Rantanen. Uh, okay, more hot streaks. Jerome McGinla is on a nice run with three goals and one assist in his last three games. Obviously, I'm trying to talk about guys who people might have available to pick up in free agency. And yeah, LA has four games next week and McGinla has been playing with Carter and Tanner Pearson. So great line mates. He's on a good run. I don't see a reason why not to pick up Jerome Ginla if you could fit him on your lineup. Yeah, yeah, he is doing well. He's also destroying Enzo Kopitar's shot attempt shares in the process. Like you rarely see Kopitar being sunk or losing that shot attempts battle. But since being saddled with a Ginla, that's what's happened. But most importantly to fantasy owners, Kopitar is producing just fine in the meantime. 12 points in his last 14 games. So that's good for him, but it's not really good for the LA Kings. He might be producing points, but he's also giving up more shots against than he usually does since Aginla joined him on that line. So uh, good for production, bad for Los Angeles, but you don't care about Los Angeles. Yeah, why would I? But also, Brian, I just said that Aginla has been playing with Carter and Pearson most recently. So they decided, I guess, to move Aginla away from Kopitar since maybe it was hurting them too much. Yeah, so maybe that's why and now he can drag that line down too. Well, whatever. They're not going to make the playoffs. Might as well just give their fantasy owners a potential win. Uh, let's go to Calgary. Christopher Stieg had two assists, including one on the power play versus San Jose on Friday and has one goal and five assists in his last seven games. I believe Calgary plays today. Oh, yeah, against Anaheim. So we'll see how they do. The game just started. Uh, but yeah, Versteeg is the kind of guy that he's like a spooner. He's on the third line. You don't expect much from him at even strength, but he's on the top power play playing with Goudreau, Monaghan, Brower and Brody. So anyways, forget about Brower and Brody, but he's playing with Goudreau and Monaghan on the power play. Always a potential guy to get you a power play point. So if, let's say, later in your week next week, you are down by a special teams point or two. Like, Brian, you were in the situation yesterday trying to get a win in the league where you're against me, and special teams points was one of those categories you needed to flip. You grabbed Spooner. You could have easily also grabbed Christopher Stieg in the same categories. Keep an eye on him. Unfortunately, Calgary only plays Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday next week, so you might not be able to fit him in. But, yeah, he's been, like, a little nice plug for that one category if you can get him. I don't know, any comments on him or or Calgary before I move on? No, I think you covered it. He's not necessarily a very helpful guy in other categories when he's not scoring so keep that in mind and we have seen little runs from him and then he goes cold here and there so if you do add him just make sure that he is still holding on to his good deployment situations and doing something for your team every single game he plays yeah i guess another guy you can compare him to was like a mark letestu like nowhere at even strength but he's on the top power play so you always have that potential to get a power play point from him okay rick nash ending a pretty mediocre season on a high note with five goals in his last six games. And the Rangers actually played Philly today. Like we were saying how Stoli the goalie is kind of getting blown up. And yes, yeah, four to one now for the Rangers. So that amazing 950 save percentage for Stolars is a thing of the past. How is Rick Nash doing? Uh, no goals, no assists. Oh, well, two shots. So maybe that hot streak has ended today. But still, like I said, he's doing well. And Rangers play on Wednesday versus Washington and then Saturday and Sunday versus Ottawa and Pittsburgh. So if you could grab someone like Rick Nash in free agency, he might be a nice guy to add. Or you could go with one of these other Rangers guys like Kreider or Zuccarello or Stepan. Like I see these guys sometimes in free agency when I don't think they belong there. So take a look at some Rangers for the weekend. If you have an open spot on your roster for then, we talked about Henrik Lundqvist earlier and how he's been doing so badly, how he makes so much money. So yeah, he's letting five, five and three goals against in his three games since returning from injury. Looks like he's having a good game today. So that's nice against Philly. 
But yeah, not sure if I'd be putting him in my net with my season on the line next week, especially against Washington and Pittsburgh, though maybe Pittsburgh will be resting some players. You know how sometimes teams do that in the last week of the year. So take a look. Maybe if like Crosby and Kessel aren't playing and Malkin and Latang are still injured, then maybe it's not as scary to play Lungfist against the Penguins, which is something to keep in mind. Uh, another goalie, Tuka Rask. He's put together three straight great games after he had been really bad for so long. So nice for the Bruins. They're probably going to be making the playoffs, and it's nice for them to have a goalie that could actually do something. Bruins have won four in a row now. I wonder if they're a potential playoff dark horse, if Rask can keep it up. Like, they have so much offensive firepower, as we've been talking about all season long. I like the Bruins. Yeah, and they're in tough right now in their playoff race situation, so we'll see if you can continue liking them come next week it has been nice elon just one reason you should join us in the chat i'm going to interrupt my own sentence elon flexes live for you guys could anyone see it though because i was talking elon talk and flex well no because michael was asking if elon is wearing a sleeveless shirt so i just wanted to say i sure am and you're welcome and which way to the beach welcome to the gun show i'm not (laughs) okay Okay. I, I wasn't flexing there. It could have been big muscles if I wanted them to be, but I didn't want to, you know, embarrass anybody. Yeah, no, definitely not. My muscles uh, are too large to fit in the frame of my screen. Of course, so of I'm course. not even going to try. I think uh, I don't want to break my camera. Hey guys, um, it was like over five degrees in Toronto today. So I decided to really, you know, enjoy it. So wait, you are actually wearing a sleeveless shirt? You are wearing a sleeve. You own a sleeveless, the one sleeveless shirt I've ever owned. I bought by accident at a wrestling show. It was an Undertaker sleeveless shirt. Oh, and mine I didn't is know. Stone Cold. Oh, that's ridiculous. So sleeveless <laughs> shirts from wrestling events. Another common factor. That, that's our next podcast title. Okay. Where were we? You can tell this is this has gone long. Um yeah. We were talking about the Bruins. I was saying Tuka Rask is finally doing well. He had such a brutal seat. He had a great start to the year. He then just had a horrible run, and we've been lambasting him over the past few weeks about how bad he's been. But now he's doing well again. So I think the Bruins... Just be careful, though. Just be careful, though. Like, it's nice that he starts for the Bruins, who are a pretty good team, and they have some... I mean, Brad Marchand up there in the Art Ross race. But uh, still be careful with Tuka Rask. He has the potential to be great. His potential to blow up your numbers. And Elon, you already passed on Rick Nash, just mentioning he's taking a pretty good amount of shots too. Like he's had a few four-shot games recently. Keep in mind that you mentioned five goals in six games. Those five goals have come on 14 shots. So uh, heads up about that. Don't expect him to keep scoring at this rate. Okay, yeah, that's fair. All right, uh, more hot streaks. I don't know if you would count this a hot streak, but Tanner Kiro is the most recent player to be taking Anisimov's spot on the top line in Chicago, playing with Patrick Kane and Panarin. And so he had four points in his last three games before today. I don't think he got any points today, but he was still on the top line and he had a shot and he was plus one. So he was likely on the ice for the Panarin goal. So, you know, if he could stick there, and who knows, because we really thought Schmaltz was going to stick there, and it was looking good for him, and then he got bumped. So no guarantees, but if Tanner Kiro is playing on the top line in Chicago, maybe you take a look at him for next week. They play Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, unfortunately, like a lot of these guys I've mentioned, so I'm not sure if you'd be able to fit him in. It would be much nicer if he was playing on off days like Chicago was all of this week. Anyway, Brian, who is Tanner Kiro? Tanner Kiro is an undrafted Michigan State alumnus in his second full year as a pro. He's been pretty good at the AHL level, and he seems to be just another of many pieces that Chicago can cycle into spots in their lineup and say, hey, kid, go play with Jonathan Taves or Patrick Kane. Take a bunch of shots, throw some hits if you can, and probably something good is going to happen. Okay, 
We've got Michael here in the chat room now, and I saw something. Oh, no, this is bad news. Eves from Kessler on the power play. So once again, Patrick Eves strikes, and apparently this is very bad news and for if- Michael. Did he just lose his league because of this goal? I think it's bad news. Officially, though, we can update our episode. Patrick Eves is your 22nd 30-goal scorer of the 2016-17 season. Who saw that coming? Man, good for him. Sorry, Michael. Uh, second place sometimes gets some some money. So uh, what's next? Okay, St. Louis. Zach Sanford was on the top power play in St. Louis recently with Stasny out. And that's what they were doing on Friday. But it looks like Berglund was back in that spot today. He had also been there earlier this week. I was actually regretting last week when we talked about Paul Stasny being injured. I forgot to mention who's going to take his spot on the top power play. Like I am saying, it was Berglund and then went to Zach Sanford. Now back to Berglund. No points for either today. It was actually... David Perron, who was the random St. Louis guy to have a big game. He had a goal and two assists. He's playing on a line with Berglund and Pajarvi. Assuming that, Brian, I assume you're going to say Tarasenko is the best on St. Louis for forwards and then Schwartz and then Steen, even though you hate Steen. He actually had a goal today for what it's worth. Anyways, who would you take next for next week? Like St. Louis plays Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday. If you could get like a Berglund or a Zach Sanford who might get power play time or a Perron who maybe could go off for another game like this. Is there one that you think is above the others? Not really. I guess I would take Berglund, who has been in this spot for a little while and has done reasonably well with it. Uh, the Sanford fellow, keep in mind, he was one part of the return to St. Louis as part of the Kevin Shattenkirk deal that happened a month ago or so. Uh, he played two years with Boston College before turning pro this year. He was drafted by Washington at the end of the second round in 2013. He has put up unremarkable numbers at both the NHL and AHL level this year. So I'm not about to put him above Berglund or Perron, despite some nice placement. Maybe the Blues are just seeing what they've got from him. I don't know what's happening. Okay, Brian, let's end the show by talking about a guy that at some point this week, he got a point and then you messaged me and said, we have to talk about Noah Hannafin this week. So, so here we go. Noah Hannafin, highly drafted defenseman on Carolina a couple years ago. I know this much about him. He's got a goal and an assist in his last five games. So Carolina had this big five game week this week. So, you know, two points from a defenseman in a normal week is pretty good because that's usually in either three or four games and five games doesn't look that impressive, but Hey, doesn't matter overall two points from Noah Hannafin. Maybe that could help someone inch ahead in their matchup. Brian, what are you thinking about this guy? Like, Do you think he has breakout potential for next year? Why did you think it was really important that we brought him up? I thought it was really important to bring him up because my opponent in my finals matchup added him this week. And I was like, uh, what a dummy. Why did he do that? And then he had a great week. Noah Hannafin has a goal and six assists for seven points in his last 12 games. That's a span of about three weeks. 18 shots over those 12 games. He actually has, Hannafin, as many points as Justin Falk in that span. But of course... Falk has twice as many shots. Hannafin's ice time has risen steadily over the past few months, and I think that in the recent production makes him a decent depth defense add over the last week if it's slim pickings in free agency for blue liners. Yeah, unfortunately, Carolina doesn't have another five-game week next week. They do play four times, though, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday. So, yeah, could be a decent option depending who else is available. Of course, you could always tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. Let us know 
a couple of your top options and we'll let you know who we think you should take. Uh, obviously, the guy who was doing really well for Carolina during this five-game week is Elias Lindholm, two assists today. He's up to 45 points in 68 games on the year, which is a 54-point pace, which I think is above where we expected him. I think we were saying going into the season that we saw him more as like a 50-point guy. Do you think he has upside for even more next year? Like he's definitely shown that he can be relied on as a top-line guy on the team, top power play. 54-point pace this year, like I said. I'm curious to know what you think of him for next year. We had a good question on our patron-only Facebook group, Yepi. Uh, he asked us to pick two keepers for him. Like He was listing a whole bunch of players. It basically came down to his final two keepers were going to be between these three guys, Bjorkstrand, Elias Lindholm, and Anthony Mantha. And I think I said to go with Bjorkstrand and Mantha just because I think they have higher upside. And Lindholm, I see him as a guy who's always going to be around 50 points, but never going to be like a 60-plus point guy. And maybe Bjorkstrand and Mantha have that potential. Curious to know your thoughts. Yeah, this is something uh, that you just added last minute, and I think I would need some time to consider it. Hannafin might have some breakout potential, but I think as long as Falk is around, he's going to be second fiddle. Keep in mind, Falk could get injured, and in that case, I like Hannafin for 45 points. Uh, Looking at Lindholm, he's been good. Like He's been someone who we've never gotten too excited about, always been like, well, you can stream him in if you need him, which has actually held true for most of the year, because there have been cold streaks where people get frustrated and tired of him. Uh, So that makes him somewhat disposable. And then there's Bjorkstrand, who we've seen a little bit of, and he's done all right. We'll see where he slots into the top six heading into next year. Anthony Mantha, though, is the one guy who I think I've seen enough of to want as my keeper of this group. And you can hear me speaking a little slowly because I I just want to make sure, but he seems to have some real potential. He's taking advantage of the opportunities he's been given in Detroit. My biggest pet peeve is that he hasn't been given enough opportunities. So hopefully his role in deployment grows next year. And if it does, I would like him the most of that group. Hmm. It is tough. Like, uh, I wonder in general, like, what's the strategy when you're picking from a, like a bunch of keepers and you're down to like, let's say if you're keeping 10 and you're picking your 10th one, it seems to me like you want to go for like the high upside because even if you get it wrong and you pick someone who ends up being a bust, you know, it's your 10th keeper. You'll probably find someone decent in free agency. Like, I think Lindholm is definitely the safest bet of those three. But then guys like Mantha and Oliver Bjorkstrand, maybe just because we haven't seen what they can do yet playing on a full season, you know, in a decent role as opposed to Lindholm, where we've kind of seen, we know what he can do when he's on the top line, top power, but he could give you a 54 point pace. So yeah, interesting, maybe discussion for the summer. We were actually talking on our Facebook group. We had a whole thread about different strategies we've learned or like lessons we've learned from this year in fantasy. That would be a fun episode to maybe do over the summer. And this could be part of it. Like you go high upside or low floor when you're picking keepers. Brian, okay. I think that is it for this show. It's been a long one, but it's been a fun one. We've talked about so many players, so many injuries, and then, you know, all these guys on hot streaks. Hopefully we've given those of you who are still fighting for your fantasy hockey lives in your finals, hopefully we've given you something to think about. I guess before we close out the show, Brian has insisted that we once again pay tribute to the teams that have fallen in their fantasy leagues this year. It's always sad to be at this point in the year, but of course, the fact that it took you to the second end of the second last week of the season means you probably made it to your finals or at least your semifinals. So congratulations to all of these teams for doing well, but let's cue our sad music, which I don't even know where we found this music, but we've been playing it for the past couple of years. I think I think this, the track is called Happy Father's Day. Like that's the <laughs> final name, but it's pretty sad sounding. So I guess that's why we use it. But okay, let's cue that up and uh, let's go. Here's one team that lost. Hovas Polar Bears. The Bayside Tigers. Curry in a Hurry. 
More Vaseline. Member Barry's. Fast and Flurious. That's good. McRide 11. Truffle Shuffles. Man, I'm stoned. <laughs> OV1 Kenobis. The Goalmongers have danced their last Latango. Uh, the owner of the Goalmongers, this is your time to shine. We didn't get to your name last week, but here we are, making good on our promise. Vincent Throat Checks. Does, is, is Chocheck known for checking people in the throat? Soft dump in the corner. Zdeno, holla back, girl. That's, that was very good. Very inspired. And then, Elon, we're at the point in the season where you can turn off this loser music and <laughs> cue that winner music because we have some teams who have claimed their fantasy hockey championships. Elon, first and foremost, it's not on my list here, but keeping Carlson, each word starting with a C, won the Dynasty League this year. Congratulations to us. We're the best. Seeping Carlson. Or keeping Carlson. Yeah, with two C's. We're not going to be keeping John Carlson next year, though. He definitely didn't live up to our expectations. But we didn't need him to. By the way, what should our happy music be? It's going to be weird for people listening to the show, because I will have already started it <laughs> by the time you're hearing this conversation. But we had that celebrate good times. We've had that before. But I yeah. feel like that's kind of cheesy. Like, maybe we could think of something better. Maybe in the chat room, let us know if we can think of a happy song we can play. Preferably, I guess, public domain. But who really cares? No one's coming after us. <laughs> We could do the chicken dance. We could do If You're Happy and You Know It. Oh, these are horrible. We could just play our theme song. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Other winners. Angle of My Dangle. Cardi and Co. Buy Sam a Drink. Lava 1-2. The Long John Bulges. Pasta with Mickey Balls. Uh, is going to take the very prestigious title of champion of Yahoo Public 103453. A very well-worded uh, celebration. Uh, the Al Raqqa Desert Knights. Shatten Deuces. Nice. And then to close it out, uh, we got a, a tweet saying, Eight years in a league, and I finally, all caps, won! First season listening coincidence... I think not. Congratulations to the Mitt Munchers 2.0 2017 <laughs> champions. Way to go. And Brian, I guess we're really encouraging people to give more detail with their tweets. And we'll, we'll read it all. Whatever you send us, we'll read. We're just filling time at this point. <laughs> Attach a manifesto to your team name. It will get on the air. Okay, well, congrats to all of you. Congrats to anyone who's made it to the end of this show. I hope you liked it. Thanks. Congrats to everyone who stuck with us for the whole season. We've really enjoyed putting this season out, and we do it for our listeners. We still have a big summer series to come. The plan moving forward is next week, we're going to do kind of a recap of the season on Sunday night, the last week of the show. Maybe we'll give some playoff predictions. It'll be more of a light, fun show since we won't be having any fantasy weeks to be projecting for. Then we're going to take a week or two off, and then we're going to be back for the summer series, just talking about all the players we think did better than we expected this year, worse than they expected. You know, we have all players who gained elite status, lost elite status. We've got a whole slew of things we're going to want to talk about all throughout the summer. So definitely stay subscribed to the show. If you like us, give us a five-star review on iTunes. I always like to tell you, you could follow us, tweet at us, at Keeping Carlson. 
If you're interested in becoming a patron, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. But with that, let's cue the outro music. And Brian, why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and supported by our patrons. It was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Dauber Prospect, Frozen Pool, Corsica, Hockey Analysis, Hockey Reference, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, Hockey Biz, and fan tracks. And before I throw back to you, Elon, Colin in the chat says book hockey. Also one, I think, maybe lost. He didn't specify, but I'm going to guess one because he's here with us tonight. Okay, cool. Congrats, Colin. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. And we'll catch you all with another episode next Sunday. Until then, keep on keeping Carl Sun.